Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Looking at it now, I would probably do it again. But if I'd known how hard it was going to be at the time, I don't think anyone in their right mind would sign up to yeah, start a startup with two kids and, and men who, who didn't have any kids at the time either. So they didn't understand, you know, when I was racing off to do stuff with a two-week-old. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. And we're on a mission to help you achieve your goals. We're all about sharing the secrets of the world's most innovative and pioneering successful women. Hear their uplifting stories and practical advice right here. Yes, right here. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then why not sign up for our newsletter at hello at don'tstopusnow.co and keep listening for this week's latest episode. Hello there. Our guest this week is one of the co-founders of CodeCamp, a business all about teaching the younger generation to code. Yes, indeed. This international venture has already reached 90,000 children with their holiday and after-school camps and now their online programs, particularly in Australia, but also the UK. Hayley Markham co-founded CodeCamp seven years ago, and as you'll hear, this hard-working pragmatist and efficiency queen got started in the business when her third child was just two weeks old. I know, isn't that just crazy? Crazy. Little did she know at the time what she was getting herself into back then, but there's no doubting Hayley really is an unflappable master at juggling life and building a startup. Really incredible. And CodeCamp was named one of smart companies' top three fastest growing businesses in Australia in 2018, with 510% revenue growth. It's incredible. It was also nominated a Deloitte Fast 50 Rising Star in 2019. And Haley herself is a recent winner of Australian Mumpreneur of the Year. Yeah, they've really collected quite some accolades. In this episode, you'll hear how Haley found her forte and niche in people leadership and operations after years of trial and error in different jobs, really not knowing what she wanted to do. You'll hear the career advice she has for others who aren't sure what their dream role looks like, how CodeCamp overcame the challenges involved with scaling its business. And the one thing Haley credits with helping her juggle running a business and having a very busy family life. I know. I think she said she her kids have 17 after-school activities a week between them. It's incredible. Incredible. At least that was pre-COVID anyway. Yeah, exactly. So if you're looking for inspiration on how to tackle the challenges and juggles in your life, then enjoy this episode with the unflappable and humble Haley Markham. Haley, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thanks so much for having me, girls. It's really great to have you. We're very excited to learn more about everything you do. And in fact, it's a great way to start. A question we like to ask all of our guests is, 
If you met someone you had not met ever before, how would you describe briefly to them what you do these days? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, I, I always just keep it very simple. I start with I teach kids to code, which is always a bit of an interesting one because some people you will have no idea what I'm talking about and others will be you know, jumping right in there with the next question straight away. And the funny thing about it is I don't actually teach anyone to code personally, but it's just a great way to kind of sum up the business. Yeah, right. I can imagine. Have you ever had a go at teaching them? Look, I, I can basically code up to the level that the seven and eight-year-olds can and very quickly they overtake me. So, yeah, I'm not one of the teachers, but I do love to be in the environment of the kids because I like to always make sure that what we're delivering is, you know, really great quality. Absolutely, I'm sure. And we're going to dive a lot more deeply into all the fascinating work that you do as one of the co-founders of CodeCamp shortly. But, you know, you mentioned seven and eight-year-olds. So thinking of that, and if we go right back, you know, how would you describe your childhood? I had a beautiful childhood and I still, I've got an amazing family unit. Just my mum and dad and my brother were very close. They still live in the house that I grew up in as a child my dad was an entrepreneur and my mum was kind of dabbled working for him and then a bit stay-at-home mummy as well. So, I, you know, I had a great relationship with them and still do. And my brother is an actor, so he's always got an exciting story to tell. And growing up, we travelled a lot, my dad's business, and we did, you know, we just kind of got on with things. I always thought life was great. Sometimes you look back on it and you think, well, that would have been a bit hard for my parents or but it didn't feel like that at the time. I was a bit unaware, I guess, of, you know, what was really going on. Is this in Sydney? Yes, in Sydney. Right. So school might have been a bit more of a struggle, but again, I always had a mum who was there to help me through everything. So I always felt very supported, even if I, you know, struggled through some years at school with, you know, either content or learning, changing schools and, you know, being a bit behind. I always had that strength in in my mum to kind of encourage me to keep going. Yeah, that's fantastic. But, you know, Hayley, I read somewhere you were a self-confessed wild child. What did you get up to? <laughs> Look, I did get sent to boarding school in, in year 10. I think that everyone has a bit of a wild streak when they hit 14. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to my own daughters getting to that age. But look, I, I guess I was never the, you know, the craziest. I was just kind of, when my mum spoke to the principal, she said, how close to, you know, the crazy epicentre of year nine is Hayley? And they said, she's looking through the window. And mum said, you know what, that's close enough for me. Off she goes to boarding school in Armadale. Um, I had to fly there. So I got, um, yeah, plucked out of school and sent to boarding school. But look, in, in hindsight, I guess that she saw some things that maybe she didn't like to see. It was kind of, a, I guess there was a few sneaking out episodes and, you know, hanging out with the boys at night when I probably should have been at home. Nothing too horrendous. And I, I guess I'd like to add that I'm married to my high school sweetheart who I started dating in year nine. So, you know, I kind of stuck with it. Yeah. <laughs> so you weren't, wow. you weren't that wild. Yeah, exactly. I just think mum was scared of what, maybe she was looking back on her past thinking, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. my kids thinking, no, I know where this could go. Best, best stop it early. Oh, and how do you think your childhood and education in boarding school impacted where you are today? Yeah, well, I, look, I only stayed at boarding school for six months, to be honest, because I just, I'm very, very persuasive. So every day I would send a letter home to my mum via the post. She gave me a big roll of stamps when I left to boarding school. 
And I would just send her a letter every day with other lines of like, I want to come home, I want to come home, I want to come home and, you know, teardrops and whatever I could <laughs> to, let her, to make her come home. One day I coloured in a whole page in black pen. So I remember it took me a whole history class to colour in an A4 page in black pen and then I wrote, this is the way I feel and I just sent that home. And anyway, after after six months of these letters, she was like, oh, this kid's got to come home. So wow. I did come home and I started a new school. It was all okay again. I think that I'd gotten through the worst of it. But school, how did it how did it shape me? Yeah. How did your childhood shape you? How did my childhood shape me? I think because I struggled in a lot of areas of the academic side of school, I always had to kind of work out another way to get by. So if I didn't understand something, I kind of I always took the fake it till you make it approach and just kind of came out with confidence. And, you know, eventually I would understand it, but I just knew that it was going to take me a bit longer than everyone else. So I think I just I kind of just got this fake confidence and it was fake until I guess, you know, into my 20s when I realised, hang on, this isn't really a problem. This is, you know, the way lots of people get by. I actually am confident. So it was an interesting experience looking back on it, I guess, but it shaped me to now know that just because someone may seem smarter than you, it doesn't really mean that they are. They might they might understand a topic better than you or they might, you know, have skills in an area that you don't understand at all, but you've got skills in other areas that you can bring to the table that they won't have. So there's strengths and weaknesses in everyone. It doesn't matter if someone appears to be a genius. They've got downfalls, as do I, and just have confidence to know that you've got a strength you may not know where it is yet, but you've got a strength that someone else doesn't have. Yeah. What a great learning. And it sounds like you got that relatively early in your 20s. Yeah, I, just, I guess I didn't really think about it too much. But I just, if I look back, I, I can see, it, you know, in a few jobs where I got a bit more responsibility, I, you know, and then I realised actually I'm good talking to these people and I know how to relate to this person, even though they may not be in the same kind of you know, they might not have the same life experience as me, they might not have the same skills, but I could always communicate with them. So that kind of made me feel confident in myself, I guess, that I could communicate better than a lot of people. A lot of people who had more experience or, you know, more knowledge, they didn't know how to get the best out of out of the staff or, you know, make someone feel comfortable to have a comment that they wanted to, you know, raise, which may help the outcome of the business. So I gave that platform to a lot of people, which I realised was a, a really good strength. Yeah, for sure. And I think you headed off overseas after studying at uni for a couple of fun and very interesting sounding jobs. <laughs> yeah. So look, I went overseas, I think I was away for two and a half years. And for a good a good 10 months of that, I was just purely backpacking. So just every night changing some, you know, somewhere different. I worked on a bungee jump in Greece. So I was the person who burnt all the DVDs after while you did the jump. My best friend filmed the jumpers. So <laughs> that was fun. A few other jobs I had were, um, well, I worked in an orphanage in, in Bolivia. That was an amazing experience. And I worked as an au pair and I had a different family each week in in the French Alps, so I did a ski season there and, yeah, worked in London. So I I got a really good kind of two years up my sleeve and and had a great time away. And then you landed in Dubai at some point. Yes. So, look, I came back from Europe and I I came back with my husband and we um, lived in Sydney for another eight months and then we thought, gosh, house prices here are ridiculous. We're never going to be able to save to do anything. 
So he got a job in Dubai um, in the construction industry and we moved there for his job and it was, you know, he got made redundant, I think, three months and one week after he got there, after they just paid for us to move. Oh, my goodness. Um, The GFC hit. So then he got another two jobs and got made redundant. So I ended up being the the person who was working and my husband was in our little apartment waiting for me to get home. But we had... We had a great experience and made lots of, you know, friends. My husband played rugby there and I think that's where I really got my kind of interest and, and my confidence up in management, to be honest, because I had a big team there, people from all over the world, you know, with everyone with a different culture and background and, you know, different ways of communicating. And because I was a, a manager in a service office type environment, we had 100 offices basically that we leased to these people who were coming to Dubai to start their business. So they may be an arm of, you know, of, of a US company. We had Bloomberg and we had a lot of big companies that had an office in our building. And so I had to manage all those, all the staff who were dealing with these important people who'd come to the UAE to start up a, an arm of their already existing business elsewhere. It feels like you really kind of found your groove and found what you love to do in that kind of sort of role, sort of operations and things like that. And yeah, people. it's funny because never would I think, oh, I'm going to go and work in a service office, you know, environment. So I'm going to be a manager in a service office. I wouldn't have even known what a service office was when I arrived, to be honest. And the whole role was really just, managing staff to make sure they were doing their job and and communicating so and that's what I guess I've realized you know the older you get it doesn't matter what industry you kind of go into it you take your job that you do every day and whatever part of your job you like the most then the next job hopefully will have more of that part and then until you kind of find your you know a, a really great situation so I'm always saying to my staff don't try and pin all your hopes on one industry or one thing that you've got in your mind you don't know what part of that role you're going to really enjoy yet until you're doing it. So just don't say no to things just because they don't sound like the dream thing. You don't know what your dream thing is, I don't think. I mean, I guess some people may, you know, have that passion from a young age. But if, if you don't have that, then give things a chance. Yeah, exactly. Because often, you know, you can't know until you've sort of tried it because jobs and industries and companies all have unique characteristics. And yeah, I agree that sometimes you can be surprised and what could really work. So it sounds like it's great advice you give your staff. You came back to Australia. How did you get into Code Camp? And maybe at the same time, were you a mum at this stage as well? And how did that all work? So, look, I came back at, I think, like 33 weeks pregnant from Dubai to have my first baby. I thought I might go back to Dubai, but once I got home, I just thought, no, that's done. So we moved back permanently to have that first little girl. And, yeah, look, I was just a stay-at-home mum for the first three years, I guess, of being back in Sydney. I had um, two children close together, so they were 16 months apart. And I kind of did that because... You know, I knew that I didn't really have a job to go back to or an industry or, you know, anything that I'd built here because I hadn't been here really back in Sydney for long before I'd moved to Dubai. So I didn't really have any contacts or any kind of understanding of where I wanted to head, I guess. So I had the two children close together. And then CodeCamp just kind of came up really randomly because one of the other co-founders is one of my really great friends who I lived with in London and, you know, he was a groomsman at our wedding and he was looking at Code Camp and basically they him and this other guy who met at a service office, which is funny, at a co-working space, had basically 
one child had asked one of our co-founders if he knew how to code and he didn't. So he asked Pete, who's my friend who was sitting next to him at the service office, you know how to code, mate. Do you want to help me teach this kid how to code? And so then from there, it kind of all just snowballed. Pete said, yep. And then, you know, they said, right, we're going to get these kids in the classroom to learn how to code, but we're not teachers and we don't have any kids and we don't have much experience in dealing with kids or parents. And then Pete kind of came to me and said, well, do you want to come in as well? And, you know, you can help with that side of it and we'll do the coding side and one will do the kind of business development side. And it kind of just worked. So and then we got a, a fourth a guy on who was a is a great developer so he kind of helped with all our you know all our platforms and everything that code camp is today he kind of built with his team so it was a very organic start and very unexpected i i remember um pete asking me and i was pregnant with my third daughter at that point and i'm thinking oh yeah okay yeah no, yeah I'll, I'll give it a go i'm always like kind of just yeah trying things so, and it kind of just grew. <laughs> I love that. The fact that you've got, not only have you got two young kids at home, you're pregnant with your third yeah. and you jump into a startup. I know. <laughs> I had no idea, obviously, because if you if you ask me if I'd do it now, I'd be like, oh, no way. That was so hard. But I mean, I, looking at it now, I would probably do it again. But if I'd known how hard it was going to be at the time, I don't think anyone in their right mind would sign up to yeah, start a startup with two kids and and men who who didn't have any kids at the time either, so they didn't understand, you know, when I was racing off to do stuff with a two-week-old and trying to breastfeed in the car and yeah, dealing oh with the other two, and they're whinging that they're tired for whatever reason and I'm sitting there going, don't even. <laughs> can imagine. What was the hardest thing in setting up and starting? There was quite a few hard things. I guess it was kind of the staffing. We didn't really know what what we needed to do to make it an awesome experience at the start. We, we knew that we had, that kids wanted to learn how to code. We knew we could do it just, you know, with the three of us or four of us. We could have, you know, as one person talking to parents, one person teaching, one person making sure everyone's safe. But then the scale, to scale that and not be at each camp was like, how do we do that? How do we trust other people to look after these children? So I guess it was quite hard to come up with the, processes for other people to make sure these children were safe during you know a code camp experience so we had to get the first thing we did was make sure we had a qualified teacher who was our camp manager at each location so that was our go-to we didn't need to deal with the the tech student for a child kind of you know well-being issue or you know someone who's upset that their mum's gone home we now had a camp manager who was a qualified teacher to deal with that situation which was a great kind of a great thing for us, that camp manager, when we didn't make them do any type of coding, they're just there to communicate with us. And the other really, really thing, hard thing, we used outside products and software to teach the kids. So it was taking a really long time to give the kids the end product, which was a game that they built a camp. It takes like three months. We had to sit in the room and we'd have like 100 computers set up and we'd be pressing buttons every like two minutes. So you just walk down like a production line of pressing these buttons so that the game would load properly. And then luckily we got that all built. We got our CTO to build a, a way that we could send out the kids' games, which is their end result, automatically. So basically immediately as soon as they're finished building, their parent gets their game and their creation so they can talk about that with the, with the family once, you know, as soon as they finish camp, which was a real big turning point for us, not having to wait three months for a kid to get their outcome. Yeah, I can imagine. I, 
I, I mean, I have to say, I'm sort of like, I'm sitting here going, wow, you wouldn't expect safety and being able to, you know, turn around the game to the kid to be the key issues. But I guess, you know, when you think about it, that makes sense. And it sounds expensive having to build your own complete software platform. Did you have to raise funds? Did all you four co-founders have to bootstrap and, you know, lend the business money or give, you know, invest in the business? How did how did you get through that time? Yeah, look, because we're in a business where, you, you know, we sell the product and then we don't need to deliver and pay the staff until, you know, after we've delivered it. So, you know, it might be we might, it's, it's like a six-week cycle, I guess, of going on sale and then the kids come to camp and then you pay and then you pay the staff probably, you know, a week or so after that. So it does allow you to have a bit of money prior, you know, early. So but what we did bootstrap, So, but what, at the same time we did overspend as well. At certain points in the life cycle of the business, we've learned a lot of lessons. But, yeah, we didn't need to take investment, which was lucky, but we also... We didn't run it as efficiently at the start as what we could have or should have. It's led us to a, a very efficient model now, I guess, all, that, all those learnings. We spend a lot of money on the development of our own platforms. Um, we've got two platforms, Lola, which is our like customer kind of management platform and our sales platform. And that's the way we do all our staffing. We've got a 1,000 casual staff. So the staffing wow. was another problem, and that was main, that was my problem. I was the one in charge of staffing. So if someone dropped out, you know, the morning of, I've got a cold. I'm like, oh, great. How do I get someone else to, you know, this school that's, you know, 30 minutes out of the city? So that was me calling around. Do you have a working with children check? Do you know the process? All that kind of stuff. That was a, a very hard part of business as well. But again, that got solved with, not solved, but eased with the introduction of our platform, Lola, which was the back end platform. Yeah. And then Code Camp World is the platform the kids use at camp, which is the coding software. Wow. And it sounds like that's really made a massive difference to the business. Absolutely. What would your advice be to someone thinking about starting their own business right now? There's a lot of advice. I think the difference for us is, like you said, those platforms have enabled us to scale like we have. And that was because we had an awesome CTO who worked over and above anything, you know, anyone that you could ever hire to work for you would do. We never had the money to pay them. I would say if you were starting a business, I, I would personally be looking at a co-founder who brought complementary skills to your skill set. That would be one. Two, I, I guess just, you know, make sure you're not spending too much. You've got to stay on top of that. You can't be spending more than you're earning. I just, yeah, we've learned the hard way. And I don't know what else my advice would be. I guess it's not easy. It's not easy. And I think also the other thing would be know when to pull the pin. It's true, isn't it? Knowing when to pull the pin is can be really quite a challenge. You know, Code Camp has grown so much. I don't know what you're up to now in the total number of students taught, but it's tens and tens of thousands, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think we're up to like 90,000 now. Wow. How do you manage to juggle everything when you've got three relatively young kids and a business that probably takes a hell of a lot of your time? What do you do? I think that naturally I've got quite a bit of energy. I'm also not a very stressed person. So I think that if things get to you, that must take a lot of energy for those type of people. But for me, I'm kind of like I do something and then I come to terms with it in my mind. If this is crap, that's okay because of this. And if this is good, that's great because of this. And then I can move on. I've always I've always got a, a reason behind doing something and I'm not worried if it doesn't work. So 
I think that if you're someone who's a, who's worrying about everything, am I making the right thing? Did I say the right thing? You know, then that's got to be exhausting. But because I'm more like, oh, as long as I'm generally, you know, a good person, I haven't upset anyone's, you know, feelings or I feel like what I was saying was valid, then I'm pretty good with everything I'm doing. So yeah. I can keep doing more. Then look, I've got a plan. Everything's a bit crazy. You know, I know I, know I can do everything that I put in my day. I just might need to get up a bit earlier or, you know, I, I don't like being late. I always know that I've got an extra 15 minutes up my sleeve in case, you know, someone has a full meltdown or, you know, I'm pretty good at making sure managing my time. This will take an hour. That'll take half an hour. I can add that in there. Okay. Oh, missed my spot there. I'll drop making the soup for dinner. Right. Everyone's getting fish and chips, you know, no problem. It's kind of good Good enough is, is, is where it's at for me. Nothing's really perfect. The house is always at 80% clean. It's never got to 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't be perfect in everything, can you? And I, it doesn't bother me. As long as, you know, everything's like generally not chaos, I'm good. If it hits chaos, that, that's not good. I need to stop and I'll realign. But generally, I just kind of get everything to good enough. And I'm not a perfectionist in anything I do, really. So, you know, I always know there's a few things I can drop. Yeah. And do you do that consciously? I feel like I know where my priorities are. As long as, you know, a child feels supported, some other things, you know, surrounding, you know, if they were late to an activity, oh, I don't really care. As long as they felt good about themselves and, you know, felt confident, then I'm okay with, you know, what happens during the day for the kids. So I think it, while I don't think about why I do things, because I'm not a, a deep thinker, I do know that I concentrate on the priorities. Right. Okay. And just with your time, though, do you actually like sit down in the morning? and work out what you've got to do and then do that all of that sort of working out oh well I've got half an hour here or I've got 15 minutes in case this happens or is it just now really unconscious and it just happens it's definitely unconscious I mean the only thing that I do have to really plan is the after school kind of pickups and all the activities for the kids I think I've got 17 weekly activities between the three kids oh my god I know it's ridiculous because I'm trying to find something that they're great at <laughs> we're still we're still trying they do a lot of things so that's the only time that I really have to think okay who's going to pick up drop off I've got a great support network so I know if my my usual babysitter is busy well then I've got my best friend whose kid goes to that thing I've always got a backup just in loosely in my brain for every situation essentially but I don't do it consciously I just kind of I, I just just know it's there I'd love to sort of turn now and think about the the participation and students that you get at Code Camp. You know, we all know that there's a, a shortage of women in tech as grown-ups. What's it like in terms of girls versus boys in, in Code Camp events? Look, I mean, it, it definitely started out extremely skewed um, heavily to the boys. Now we're sitting, we kind of fluctuate between 35 to 40% girls in a classroom which is good, but it's not great. I mean, look, we'd love 50-50. It, it hasn't happened and we've been working towards it and it's interesting. I haven't made, I, I wouldn't say it's changed too much over the last couple of years when I would have assumed it would have. I thought it would be growing kind of quicker than what it has, I guess, but it's still, it still does feel like it's male focused at the moment for us, but we're doing everything we can to try and encourage it. 
we put, you know, just kind of that, you know, the marketing has always got a girl and a boy or maybe just two girls on it. Our teachers, we hire 60% female teachers, in, you know, in our classrooms. So we're hiring more women than men. But I do feel like it is a little bit a kind of decision that's happening with the parents. Yeah, what would your message be then to parents of girls? It's so hard because it's, I'm essentially saying this message to my girlfriends as well and I feel like I was this parent as well. <laughs> but I just really try and explain it because the thing is with coding, if you're not a coder or you're not into technology and, and your brain just doesn't go there because you don't know why the fridge works, it just works. Like, and that's honestly, that's how my brain always thought in the past as well. We didn't have that inquiring reason in why is this fridge working? I didn't have that kind of you know, energy for technology that some people do. And so as a parent, if you if you don't have that kind of inquiring mind as to why things work, um, I think it's very un- hard to understand what coding is and why. And I think lots of people know why you need it. Oh, well, it's technology and everything's technology these days. People have got that, but they don't understand that it can be fun and it can be creative. That's the problem, the message that I really struggle to tell. And I'm I'm constantly saying it's like a digital art class. Your child goes and paints a picture at art class and they love it and the next week they'll come back, they'll paint another picture. It'll be a different picture but it'll be just as good and they'll get they'll get better and better at it and they continue learning how to paint and every time they're creating something and that's what learning to code is. You can create, you can create whatever you want through code. So that's my message that I'm always struggling to try and get across to parents who aren't naturally tech savvy or interested themselves it's hard to say why their child should do something that they can't do or don't understand yeah yeah no for sure great you remember when we talked to audrey tang who's the digital minister for taiwan and she mentioned that in taiwan they have the opposite problem they can't get boys into coding wow yeah really interesting one of the things she puts it down to the main thing the main thing yeah is is the name that they have. So instead of being software developers engineers. or engineers, yeah. they're program designers. Ah. And because so, design. Yeah, yeah, because design is more something that girls yeah. go for. And Absolutely. engineering is something that boys go for. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's great to know. I need to listen to that whole podcast, obviously, because <laughs> I may have just changed the name of my company. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What do your three girls think of Code Camp? Yeah, look, so I've got a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. The five-year-old isn't at school yet, so she's yet to come. She probably, she just chants Code Camp, so for no reason. So (laughs) that's all she really does about that. And then, look, my two daughters, one is a bit like me. She gives it a good shot. She prefers the creative side of, of coding. So she kind of struggles through it a little bit. She probably thinks of Code Camp as something that means that I can't come and pick her up from school every day. But the middle child is kind of showing, Millie is showing some real interest in it. So she kind of is more interested in the why and the how things happen. So she is kind of a, a bit more of a traditional Code Camp kid, I'd say, who's working through the levels and enjoys the challenge. So look, they all think about it differently, but I, I know that they'll all... They'll all understand the importance of it by the, you know, when they need to, which is that they need to understand how it works because their future will include it, whether they decide to be, you know, developers, which they probably won't or not. They need to understand how it works because whatever job they're in will probably be affected by technology in some way. It's good to understand it. Yeah, totally. And I bet you get 
quite a few adults asking you about how do they learn to code as well. What, yeah. what, what advice would you give, you know, listeners who wanted to get some basic skills or knowledge in coding? Mm. Look, I guess I would just hop online. There's so, there are so many free courses through code.org and just understanding the basics. I guess if you, if you want to actually learn how to code, then you can you can teach yourself or you can go to some great schools as well that have, you know, short courses. But for me, it's just about reading and understanding the logic behind it and, and why it's so good. It's all about kind of thinking that there's one problem, there's multiple ways to solve a problem. It's great for your problem-solving skills, really. So understanding how it works will enable you to solve problems in different ways in the future. And I think that's part of, although I'm not a coder, I've got that kind of mentality myself, which is there's always, like, different ways to solve a problem. There's not just one way. So I do think it's great for people to get on and have a go and have a dabble with coding, even if they don't want to actually learn how to code. Just understand the main concepts of it is a great tool because you're going to deal with developers in the future or on your own business as well. Yeah, I really like the way that you talk about why people should should study it, though. You know, that ability to sort of problem solve and see multiple ways to, to solve problems. I personally had never thought about learning to code in that way. So code.org is the place to go, is that right? Yeah, that, that's got a, it's got a lot of great starting out material. It's a good starting point. And then once you kind of work through those challenges, then they've got a heap of different resources on where you can go to get the next step. Brilliant. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll put that onto uh, our show notes page. Yeah. And what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, golly. I know it's a hard question. That is a stumper. I feel like it's more just a vibe and I think it comes from my mum, to be honest. Just it's not about business, it's just about life, about, you know, trying your best and, and being a good person. It's, it's nothing that we all don't know. It's just about being generous and, you know, smiling and just, yeah, trying to be a good human. So I don't, I don't know what the actual advice is. I do like Bill Gates's quote, though, touch it once which is just about, you know, don't come back to the same problem a thousand times. If you've got a problem, like just sort it out straight away so you don't have to think about it and make it a big issue, just get it sorted. That's kind of how I live, I guess. I've always got a plan and I just kind of sort it out and it's not, not a big issue. Love that. If our listeners wanted to find out more about you or more about CodeCamp, where would they go? Well, CodeCamp, they can just go to codecamp.com.au and they can find all about CodeCamp. To find out about me, that's interesting. I don't know. <laughs> you can have a Google. I mean, look, it's a journey. Of, you, you can see my journey definitely by Googling me. But, yeah, there's, I mean, you can head to my LinkedIn. Well, Haley, thank you so much. It's been a really fascinating conversation. No we've, problem. We've really loved it. And we, we love the journey that you and the team have been on. And we can't wait to see where Code Camp goes from here. Yay for more women in STEM. That's all we yes, can say. Yes, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. I hope, I hope I've been some help to the listeners. You absolutely have, for sure. Thanks so much, Hayley. I just love Haley's attitude to life, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so great. She's never developed that habit of worrying. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, she's super pragmatic and I love that she aims for good enough rather than perfect in so many areas of her life. Yeah, I think a lot of us need to practice that skill a lot more. Not wrong personally. there. <laughs> I also thought her advice on being open to trying new opportunities, particularly in your early career, is really important. 
you know, because so many young people leave uni really not knowing what might float their boat work-wise, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. You know, it is hard to work out what you want to do. And I think having that attitude of trying things and different roles to then work out which parts of those roles you like best and then sort of accumulating more of that in your next job is a really good strategy. Exactly. I also love the idea of code camps, you know, making coding fun and really sort of dialing up and emphasizing the creative aspect of coding. I think it's a really smart strategy and it's super important too that we do educate our next sort of generation of young people. Absolutely. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for another mini episode next week and then we'll be back with another fascinating woman the week after. Ciao for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.